0: This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Friday, May 18th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. In Brazil, the corruption and the scandal known as Operation Car Wash is still coming to light, and one of the many judges who've helped bring to light the scale of this corruption is Sergio Moro. At the Milton Friedman Prize for Advancing Liberty Dinner in New York this week, Moro was interviewed by Wall Street Journal columnist Mary Anastasia O'Grady.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our conversation with Judge Morrow. We're very lucky to have him with us here this evening. And I want to let you know that in preparing for this event, I started reading through the press clips of the last four years of the work that you were doing and the prosecutors were doing uh, in Brazil. And I was reminded of Mark Twain's observation that truth is stranger than fiction. But it's because fiction is obliged to stick to the possibilities, and truth isn't. And if you read what happened in Operation Car Wash, it really is a truth that is way stranger than fiction in a country, I would say, that is enormously important for the region. So the changes that Judge Morrow has brought about, I think, have big implications for uh, the rest of Latin America. Just to summarize for those of you who aren't lucky enough to have a Wall Street Journal subscription, Mm -hmm. um, basically what was going on here was that Petrobras, the big oil company, state-owned oil company, was um, awarding contracts to private construction companies, and those construction companies were padding their bids. And so Petrobras would give the contract to the construction company. The construction company would give kickbacks to oil company executives, to politicians, to uh, some of the members of the corporations. And as we know, it ended up also going to former president Lula da Silva, who is now in jail. Um, He was originally convicted for nine years, but on appeal, he got 12 years. (laughs) Um, and I should add also that, that that money was also being funneled through offshore corporations into um, a political slush funds. So it was also being kicked back into the party. Now, Operation Car Wash as a novel would be rejected by a publisher as way too fantastic. But uh, in terms of um, what's actually gone on in Brazil, I think one of the most interesting things are the human beings who made this happen. So you are a trial judge in Brazil, slightly different system than we have here in the US. Um, But there's also a team of prosecutors, and that team of prosecutors has been called sometimes in the press, the nine horsemen of the apocalypse. Because this scandal truly rocked the entire political economic uh, core of, of this huge country. And I, was, I, I thought that it would be uh, interesting to hear from you. What was it about those human beings? I mean, you've had trial judges and prosecutors in Brazil for 30 years in the, in the democracy, in the post-military government democracy. Um, but this seemed like a very special collection of people, and uh, both in terms of their education, their training, but also their values. And so do you have any, any insights about how these people tended just ended up coming together and following this trail and basically opening the web of corruption?
0: Well, first, let me say briefly, I'm honored to be here to receive this invitation and uh, thank you for the kind words. And I like the video. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure to have you here also, uh, Mr. Grady. Uh, it's difficult to say let me say that uh, it's all institutional work uh, of course uh, there are individual merits but uh, the investigation uh, the procedures and the results achieved uh, until now uh, are a consequence of a institutional framework uh, prosecutors, police officers. Uh, My work as a judge, in part, I have have some merit of, uh, but there are the the work of appeal judges, of the superior courts in Brasilia. What is really interesting is that uh, we had in Brazil several criminal scandals in the past, but usually we read about them only on newspapers. And uh, that cases, sometimes they were never brought to the courts or when they uh, were brought to the courts, uh, nothing happened. And things start to change. Uh, Maybe since an important decision by our Supreme Court in 2012 in another criminal scandal called uh, Mensalão. And uh, I understand that this car wash operation is a kind of uh, a follow-up of this uh, precedent uh, by the Brazilian Supreme Court. Uh, so in, in an unprecedented manner, now we have about, uh, considering the cases are Red Riot, 33 cases, we have about uh, 150, uh, persons convicted uh, for bribery and money laundering in Brazil, and these convictions involved very powerful people, businessmen, uh, owners, and executives of these Brazilian construction companies, executives of Petrobras, and also high-ranked uh, politicians like the former Speaker of the House, congressmen, senators, and even a former president of the country.
1: Well, so I guess what you're saying then is that there's almost a generational change in the judicial branch. I'm wondering, do you, what kind of uh, impact is this having in the political class? I mean, there's a, you get a sense from looking at this that, that, that uh, bribery was this sort of the status quo. I mean, it was a, a sort of a natural thing that politicians engaged in. um, Do you see some kind of giant um, shift in the way that politicians will behave going forward or is it going to just be a constant inch by inch battle?
0: Reducing the impunity and uh, sending uh, important criminals by due process uh, to prison suffering the consequences of their uh, criminal behavior. Uh, I understand this is an important step, and uh, in time, we will have, probably I cannot foresee the future, less levels uh, of corruption. Uh, In truth, some of the criminals who made uh, plea agreements or confessed their crimes they they told us that uh, paying bribes was a kind of the rule of the game. The rule of the game on Petrobras contracts was that you have to pay bribes to have the contract and the share of the bribes uh, stayed with the executives of Petrobras, which is a state-owned company, and uh, the other part went to the politicians. I have uh, infinite hope that uh, this could change this culture of graft, But uh, uh, I I cannot foresee the future, but I have a really hope that uh, people will understand. And in certain way, uh, Mm -hmm. this reveals that uh, uh, Brazilian democracy is strong. The institutions are working. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you allow me, I usually like to to quote uh, a phrase from former President Theodore Roosevelt. He made a very strong speech against corruption in 1903 before the United States Congress. And uh, I'll I'll not quote uh, entirely, but he said once uh, the exposure uh, of corruption Disposure and the punishment of corruption is an honor to a nation, not a disgrace. Uh, The shame lies uh, in toleration, not in correction. And I understand that this is the feeling, this is my feeling, and this is the feeling of the vast majority of uh, Brazilian people who have a chance to uh, build. Uh, stronger commitment to the rule of law and to democracy.
1: Well, that's interesting. You know, the other player in all of this were the the, um, the construction companies, and uh, we were talking earlier about the fact that Petrobras had has recognized two billion dollars in bribes in this scandal and. Surely, the number is higher than that if you include all of the other scandals that are connected to this. But um, one of the big companies was Ojebrecht, which is a construction company. And I was fascinated to read that Ojebrecht had its own department of bribery. (laughs) Um, So I wondered when I read that, and of course, OAS also got into trouble. Um, what kinds of um, changes do you think you might see in corporate governance in Brazil as a result of this? Is that, is that area being affected at all by this?
0: I believe so. I, I, uh, I'm hearing a lot in Brazil about uh, compliance and the necessity to have real compliance uh, on these uh, giant corporations and big corporation. And uh, although these big construction companies, as Odebrecht, as Andrade Gutierrez, although they committed very serious crime uh, at the past, at least after some time, after shutting down the department for bribes, <laughs> that was a surprise for us also. <laughs> uh, and you know, just one thing, uh, uh, until I finish the other story, uh, it was amazing because they, they, this department for bribes, of bribes worked even during the investigation. And they even paid the new CEO of Petrobras, who was put on charge to clean the company. I can speak about it because it's a case already tried. Of course, as a judge, I cannot speak about pending case. But, uh, well, what uh, they have done was shameful. They commit a lot of crimes, not only in Brazil, but it was discovered that they also paid bribes in other countries. Uh, Peru is an example, uh, but there are others. And Peru, I think, is really doing a good job to build their own case. Uh, but uh, during the investigation, they decide to uh, make uh, Lenin's deals with the persecutors. In these Lenin's deals, they recognize their wrongdoings. They assume the compromise to pay fines, millions, billions uh, in fines, and to cooperate with the investigations and to change their behavior. So even for, for them, for these companies, and I think that's very important when a company is involved in criminal behavior that uh, it recognizes their wrongdoings, it changes their behavior. Even for them, there is a hope.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> even for them. <laughs> um- One of the things that was very important in your investigation, I understood, was um, preventative detention and plea bargaining. And some of your critics said that, um, they they criticize you for using preventative detention, which it seemed to me like turned out to be very effective. Um, But there's also a potential for abuse with preventative detention and plea bargaining. Can you make some comments about how, you know, how the Brazilian system is set up to protect against the abuse of maybe a judge that just is ambitious or political or something like that?
0: Yes, that's a very good question. There have been some concerns about pretrial detentions and uh, you're absolutely right. I think uh, pretrial detentions should be an exception in any judicial system. But a lot of countries, Brazil, and even United States, uh, in these countries, it's allowed. It's allowed to the judge to order pretrial detention in, circun- in exceptional circumstances. So, uh, United States judge could deny uh, bail for a defendant when he understands that he presents a risk to the society, to another individual, or f- uh, for the evidence, or if there is a risk that he will flee. Uh, he'll flight. sorry. Well, uh, if you look at the specific cases in Brazil, uh, pretrial detention orders uh, were given in special circumstances. Uh, for example, uh, the first director of Petrobras, the first executive of Petrobras who have been arrested by trial trial detention order, he was arrested because it was discovered that he was destroying or hiding paper evidence. By the other side, a lot of these uh, convicted criminals, they held uh, millions of dollars or euros in offshore accounts abroad, so there was a risk of a potential flight. Mm-hmm. or a risk that they, will, they would, uh, uh, they would uh, somehow hide this, again this money. And if you take the example of a company who had a specific department uh, dedicated to paid bribes, well, you, you need to do something strong. So, they understand the message that they could not do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if they pay bribes even during the investigation, <laughs> well, that, that's a risk uh, of new crimes. Mm-hmm. And you need to do something. So, uh, but all pretrial order detentions were ordered only when uh, we have strong evidence that uh, those defendants uh, were probably guilty from their crimes. And we don't need to overestimate it. To give it an example, today I have 90 defendants uh, on pretrial detention without conviction. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, thank you. you. You have studied, obviously you studied law in Brazil, but you've also studied a short program at Harvard. Um, you did a a program on combating money laundering at the State Department, and I've read that you've also um, taken an interest in reading about the Italian prosecutors who have dealt with organized crime uh, in their own country. Are you optimistic that um, organized crime can be combated with with the will and the the tools of a modern liberal democracy? Because it seems like organized crime and transnational crime is growing and, and, and becoming more difficult to um, you know, police and, and it's, it's, it's threatening a lot of um, free societies.
0: Um, I'm pretty confident that uh, democracies and free societies are the only way to, to fight uh, organized crime uh, if you don't have, uh, uh, for example, freedom of press, uh, if you don't have uh, the possibility to uh, communicate to public opinion, if you don't have uh, trials open to the public, uh, it's very difficult. One of the things that I understand uh, that was a, a key reason, to the relative success of the investigation in Brazil was the strong support from Brazilian public opinion. As it was shown at the video, millions of Brazilians went to the streets to support the investigation and to protest against corruption. And this uh, gave us uh, the necessary strength uh, to go on, to keep going. Because when we have these cases against uh, powerful defendants, powerful businessmen, powerful politicians, there is also a risk that they will try by improper means to obstruct justice. And your tools are transparency and the support of the population of the people, of course. No judge will try a case based on public opinion. That's wrong. You have to try the case based on evidence and on the law. But the public opinion is a strong medicine against obstruction of justice. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think we have time for one more question. So I have my chance to quote Thomas Jefferson, uh, which I think is mandatory here at Cato. Um, Thomas (laughs) Thomas Jefferson wrote, about the importance of what he called equal and exact justice to all men of whatever state or persuasion. And, you know, obviously all modern liberal democracies strive for rule of law and equality under the law. I think that's what was so admirable about your investigation because it was powerful people who were, who were called to account. What do you think the. Um, impact of your work in Brazil might have on the rest of the region? Because you look around South America, Central America, it's had this consistent problem with the rule of law more than anything. Even when they tried to do the right things on the economy and on the monetary front, the rule of law is really always just one battle that hasn't been won. And I'm wondering if maybe your work will influence some of other countries in the region. Do you have any insights about that?
0: Well, let me say first that you're absolutely right. It's all about the rule of law. Uh, No one is above the law. Uh, That's an important lesson, not only for Brazil, but for other countries, even mature democracies. And uh, all we want uh, uh, is Clean government, a clean market, freedom from a corrupted government. Uh, I have been in the last two years in countries uh, like Argentina, Peru, and Mexico, and I was very well received on these countries, not only uh, by authorities but by uh, the civil society. And what I see is a strong feeling that uh, things have to change in Latin America. Uh, all countries in the region, some, some of them more, some of them less, have problems, serious problems with corruption and uh, with the enforcement of the law. In certain way, uh, because we also discovered bribes paid by Brazilian companies. Let's not vilify, vilify Brazilian companies. Other companies <laughs> paid bribes as well. But as we discovered that, we share the evidence with these countries, and they are, some of them are building their cases. Some of them are not reacting, I think, in the proper way. And uh, by the other side, there are interesting new cases appearing in some countries in Latin America, and not only there, uh, that are totally independent from our case. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not only Latin America. You can uh, can say about uh, the cases in South Korea and South Africa. So maybe nowadays there is. Uh, World movement, I'm not not so sure about that, but uh, people in democracy are not uh, not anymore tolerating so much corruption. And this is what gives us uh, hope that this could change. This past of impunity in Brazil, make a lot of Brazilians believe that it was a kind of uh, natural fate or tropical disease. But it's just cultural weakness. Mm-hmm. And in the democracy, you could change it.
1: Well, that's a great note to end our, our, our discussion on. Please join me in thanking Judge Moro for being here with us this evening.
0: Sergio Moro is a federal judge in Brazil. Mary Anastasia O'Grady is a member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Find out more about the recipients of the 2018 Milton Friedman Prize for Advancing Liberty, Las Damas de Blanco, at our website, cato.org slash Prize.